Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each Friday we invite our listeners to take 10 ahead of their weekends and get the latest economics wrap from our in-house economics team. Our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, joins me again today. Welcome, Matthew. Hi, Craig. Good to see you again. This week, I want to stay in Australia. Our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, stood up and said, we are all Melburnians. But did the rest of the states get the memo, as Victoria has now been cut off from the rest of the country? This has followed what can only be described as a second wave of COVID, which has resulted in thousands of residents being locked down in public housing towers. The CBD boarded up and drones and police officers patrolling the streets. All up a pretty pessimistic outlook when things were starting to look so good through our recovery. Matthew, can I get your perspective on the latest outlook for our country? Well, I think this episode in Melbourne definitely spells the end to any lingering hopes that investors may have been harbouring a V-shaped recovery. I think it also brings back into play uh, the national second wave scenario, uh, you know, a national lockdown. It certainly lays bare the difficulty of the suppression strategy that we've been following, you know, of a gradual reopening of the economy uh, in a situation where community transmission hasn't been entirely eradicated. And it also highlights the risks involved in uh, reopening to international travel. In terms of scenarios that people have been factoring in, I think certainly most economic forecasters, including myself, uh, hadn't embraced the V-shaped recovery as a central case. But also, I think that you know the better data over May and June, uh, as the economy reopened, led many commentators to start to underestimate the risk of the second wave scenario, which certainly remains uh, on the table. Certainly, I would argue that uh, in the case of financial markets, particularly equity markets, uh, we continue to see uh, the equity market underestimate uh, the uh, the potential for a downside shock. Thanks, Matthew. And uh, as a layman, it'd be very difficult to understand how this couldn't impact the review of JobKeeper and JobSeeker, you know, coming up. When you consider the recent actions of some of the large Australian companies, starting with Qantas, who recently cut 6,000 jobs, Deloitte in the last fortnight indicating a cut of 700 service jobs. And then yesterday, the MBN said they dismissed 800 staff by the end of the year. The reality is that now people are starting to be made aware of redundancy in service jobs, whereas before it was predominantly around hospitality and the frontline jobs. So are we going to see a second wave of unemployment, Matthew? Well, the Melbourne lockdown is is going to place further pressure on the job market. And I think this is a a tipping point for the economy, um, for the thinking of the government, which means that, you know, the government will have to extend support to the economy beyond the current cutoff dates for the job seeker and uh, and job keeper payments. Uh, but the important question, I think, is what are the appropriate policies going forward? As we discussed last week, uh, job keeper was designed to preserve a pre-COVID status quo. Come the September deadline for the programs, we're not going to exit back into a pre-COVID world and policy needs to adapt to that. I think we need to distinguish between those industries and businesses that are suffering from the lockdown and those that suffer from ongoing weakness in demand, but you know potentially can cope or are coping. Uh, and as I mentioned uh, last week, there is a, a significant amount of leakage from the JobKeeper payments um, already um, from businesses that perhaps can be start to be weaned off the support. 
And Matthew, uh, just to uh, update our listeners for who maybe not have joined from last week, that leakage you referred to was a whopping $40 billion. Uh, and your comments have been also supported overnight by the ex-Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, who also pointed out that JobKeeper in its current form could be supporting companies that who uh, have no longer have a role in our economy going forward. So in, in lieu of any extension of JobKeeper or JobSeeker, do we need to be more targeted in our fiscal policies to support the economy, Matthew, if we're going to have that potential flare-ups of unemployment in different sectors? Well, exactly, uh, Craig. Uh, we'll take, for example, the construction industry. The construction industry is receiving support through the Home Builder Scheme. And when you look at the the, the performance, particularly in, in respect to employment data, it's performing uh, relatively well. And so it's a candidate for trimming back some support. Now, you raised the, uh, the professional services sector in particular, you know, the, what we're seeing in some of the big four uh, consultancy firms. But notwithstanding those layoffs, those sectors, that sector as a whole, hasn't performed all that badly um, in a relative sense when we're looking at job numbers. And, and it's also the case that that industry can continue operating even in lockdown conditions because workers in that industry can work effectively from home, for example. So the government, I think, can become more targeted within certain areas of the service sector that are that are performing well and begin, and begin relaxing support for many businesses in, in, in that sector. At the moment, if you look at just the professional service sector and you look at the construction sector, they account for almost a quarter of the JobKeeper payments. These funds that are being absorbed by those industries uh, would be sufficient to cover payments to industries that are in lockdown that, that really can't do much about the current situation. Industries, for example, such as our or businesses in our tourist exposed sectors like hospitality, uh, parts of retail, the arts and uh, recreation, as well as um, the government providing support to our universities. Another key point is that COVID is accelerating many existing themes. I think you said in a previous QPod that uh, we're seeing themes that we thought would take years to play out actually occurring over a matter of months. And government policy also needs to adapt to these dynamics. Thanks, Matthew. And uh, I think some interesting data that came out this week was that new home loan approvals had dropped almost 12%. So I'm glad you sort of referenced to the, the building industry there because uh, I think we've got some some more to play out there, particularly when you sort of see that some of that leading data. Can I quickly ask you a question though on the Melbourne situations happening at the moment and ha it's happening obviously relatively quickly. You mentioned before the role of fiscal policy will need to become more targeted. You gave us some views on your modelling of JobKeeper in the fiscal policy update last week. Uh, has any of that changed post uh, this latest news and flare-ups, if I can use that language, in Melbourne? Treasury has estimated that the Melbourne lockdown is costing the Australian economy about a billion dollars a week, Craig. So that's six billion dollars over a six-week lockdown period. Uh, our estimates are a bit higher than that at ten billion dollars for a six-week lockdown period, and that's because we account in in our exercise, um, you know, for spillover effects uh, of weaker. Victorian spending on interstate travel, for example, and also depressed demand that is going to occur in, in, in amongst Australian consumers and businesses and how that spreads to the rest of the states just in the form of reduced spending, uh, particularly for interstate imports. 
Uh, and that represents a hit to the national economy of around a half a percentage point, and that places further strain on the labour market and on affected businesses. And that's why it's imperative uh, to rationalise and to, to better target government support policies. The blanket type of cover that JobKeeper provides is wasteful, as well as providing the wrong incentives. And Matthew, in one of your answers just then, you were mentioning the labour market, and I was quite keen to get into that topic. Um, Former Treasurer and, and former Deputy PM Wayne Swan this week was talking about how the sanctity of super needs to be maintained, that you can't cut your nose to spite your face by way of that early release system. We've had the CEOs of some of our major super funds also calling out for policy certainty. And that was something we also heard at our recent QIC super fund media roundtable as well. In your view, where do you think we need to go with this? Well, some commentators uh, suggest that the access to, uh, to drawdown funds has been in part responsible for the sharp recovery that we've seen in retail sales data. Um, but I'm sceptical as we've also seen a boost to the household savings rate. So it's likely that many people haven't needed to spend the funds that they have withdrawn and have either tucked them away for a rainy day or uh, to be used uh, once borders uh, reopen. Unfortunately, uh, we also have anecdotal evidence that some applicants have been accessing super to in an attempt to enter the housing market, despite the fact that you need to show proof to the ATO that you are under financial stress in order to access the funds. In either case, I think the government has erred in encouraging people, especially younger people, to draw down their retirement savings rather than uh, what I think the government should be doing is, is providing the necessary support to ensure that people who are adversely impacted by COVID don't suffer undue hardship. I think the early access scheme is what it's actually doing is simply transferring the problem from today into the sometime into the future. Rainy day uh, kind of mentality potentially, Matthew. That's right, rainy day mentality. Well, that's not really what that super should be um, before. There's a big cost to pay for that down the track in terms of retirement uh, incomes. So I think it, it's a really second best policy. Matthew, thanks again for your great insights. And I am really looking forward to hearing from you again next week. Thank you for listening to QPod. Please watch out for our Monday's Market Moments podcast and have a wonderful weekend ahead.